The American Truck Driver Podcast, Episode 12. Welcome to the American Truck Driver Podcast. My name is Chris Polk and I am an American Truck Driver. My web address is www.anamericantruckdriver.com. My email is anamericantruckdriver at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash anamericantruckdriver, and on Twitter, twitter.com slash truckinzar. Um, so this week I'm going to talk a little bit about trucks. And I've kind of had an epiphany uh, as of late. And it started with an argument on Facebook with a friend of mine who is uh, politically, I guess, opposed to me or what I used to be anyway. And I told him... I wanted to thank him and that I would dedicate this episode of the podcast to him. So Terry Shaw of Columbus, Ohio, brother, this one's for you. So to give you context, I'll explain how this started. Okay. And it'll take me a minute to get there, but I, I really, uh, I really came to a just giant realization uh, and 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 so it's because of this argument. So he posts a a meme on Facebook. Uh, he's a big Bernie Sanders guy. Loves him some Bernie Sanders. And so the meme says, Forty years ago, a waitress could afford college. A school teacher could support a family of four comfortably on one income. A bank teller could own a home. None of that is possible today. People are worn down. They call it lazy and asking for handouts when all we're asking for is something worth working for and a fair opportunity to succeed and live happy and fulfilling lives. Enough is enough. Join the revolution. Sanders 2016. Now, what really stirred me up about that statement is that it says none of that is possible today. And my basic response was how sad it is that the news and government have stolen our passion, squashed our liberty, and extinguished our fire for liberty. Of course, they're standing at the ready, willing, and able to be our hero. Come here, citizens. Surrender your lives to us, and we'll provide your every need. So what I tried to do with Terry, and love his heart. I mean, I've been arguing with him on Facebook now for about eight years. Um, and we, we respect and tolerate each other. It usually doesn't get too nasty. But what I tried to do with him is say, look, in 2010, uh, we were a family of four. We had a one-year-old and a four-year-old. And I'm driving a company truck. I'm pulling big lots for land air. I'm bringing home about $700 a week. And we could survive on that. I mean, we kept the lights on and and we paid the bills. And if you go back to episode one, I kind of talk about that decision of getting me, uh, you know, I, I knew I had to take another step. I knew I had to put more in to get more out. I knew um, unless I specialized myself some way as a company driver, I, I wasn't going to make a whole lot more than that 700 to to $1,000 a week. 
And so I made the decision to lease that first truck from Anderson in 2011. And I did that in 11 and 12 and 13. And then I bought this truck, um, worked with it at Anderson, and then I came to Landstar. That whole decision process along through there was based on the fact that I needed to make more money. And I decided or was determined that in order to make more money, I was going to have to do something more. I was going to have to either invest more time or money or somehow. Well, I didn't have any money, so that wasn't an option. So I was going to have to do something that would open more opportunities to me. Now, never one time over the last really 10 years uh, have I ever thought, well, if we just get the right president, everything will be okay. I, I think, um, you know, 2000 was really the first election I voted in, and so I voted, and I voted again in 2004, and then the rest of the time it was just holding my breath because I, I just couldn't believe in any of, the, any of these people that were running. <clears throat> but I still never believed that the answer to all of my problems was government. If, if, if the right president would just get in and do the right program, and pass the right law uh, and sign the right bill, then everything would be okay for me. I just I, I, That doesn't compute in my brain. In order for me to have more, I'm going to have to do more. So when I decided to become an owner-operator, and at that time the only way I saw that I could do that was to go lease a truck because I had zero money. I mean, we... I said we could pay the bills, but that was it. You know, I didn't, I did at that time, I did not see any possible way that I would ever be able to save up enough capital. Uh, you know, and back then I thought, well, you've got to have $50,000 cash. I mean, if you're going to buy a truck, that's what I believed. You know, you've got to have this huge emergency fund and you've got to, you know, which is, it's fine. I mean, that's, uh, that's probably how you should do it. I mean, if you got 50 grand there or 20 grand, uh, then that that can insure you against a lot of problems. Um, so that's why I chose to lease a truck. I chose to go to Anderson, and it was a it was a good experience, and I learned a lot. And that first year was mainly just about changing my attitude. That first year, I just had to learn how to, you know, my pastor uses this phrase all the time when he's talking about, uh, like a faith walk, uh, accepting your identity, stepping into the identity of who you are. And when you do that, that's what changes your behavior. So in the, you know, the Christian faith side of things, he says, well, if you'll just accept uh, who you are as a Christian and you will uh, understand what's been done for you and who you are, then, then your behavior modifies because of, of your acceptance. You're not motivated by fear. You're not motivated by threats. You just, you just say, hey, th- this is who I am, and this is how I think that person should behave. Okay, so that's basically what I did as an owner-operator. Um, I've told the story in another show about knocking the bottom out of my radiator three months in because I was stupid. I, I, just, I just didn't care. I was careless, and and, and I made a mistake that cost me a lot of money. Well, hey, let me tell you right now, uh, nothing will modify a human being's behavior faster than taking their money away from them. 
And that's what happened to me. And so that first probably, you know, started at three months and then probably by nine months, I really had started to grasp the concept. Okay, number one, I'm here to serve. I'm here to I'm here not just to do a job. I'm not here just to hold a steering wheel. I, I'm a I'm a part of a bigger thing uh, where there are people that need served. And, and if you serve them well, you have the opportunity to make a lot of money. And so, yes, I learned about freight rates, and I learned about maintenance, and I learned things about the truck itself, but that first year was pretty much just attitude. Um, you know, I, I've i harped on about some of these trucking groups that I belong to on Facebook and social media. Good night. The whining and the crying and the, oh, the freights are terrible. Well, yeah, the economy sucks right now. It does. It has sucked before, and it will suck again. The lesson that I have learned through this is that when the waves are high, get up on them and ride so that when things die down, when capacity shoots through the roof for whatever reason um, and, and volumes down and rates fall, then you have the ability to say, okay, well, I'm just going to stay home. And there's a lot of guys that do that. I'm shocked. You know, I, I was so surprised when I got into this and I started meeting what I call real owner-operators. And I'm not trying to slack on lease drivers because I was one, okay? But there is a difference. You know, that I always called myself a glorified company driver when I was leasing a truck. I, yes, I was leasing it. And yes, I had a contract. And yes, I was responsible for everything. But they held my hand and they did all my dispatching. You know, to me, the real deal, 100% show enough owner-operator is the guy out there that's got his own truck, his own trailer, his own authority, uh, and he's doing his deal or her deal all by themselves. That, to me, is the pinnacle. Uh, I'm not ready for that personally yet. I, I got too many financial issues I got to work through. Uh, but I'm not saying I'll never get my own authority, and I'm not saying that, you know, I, I'm just – I've got to work through this season that I'm in right now. Uh, but that's definitely an option on the table. So – but when I met some of these what I call real deal owner-operators, they own their own trucks, they either lease to a big company, Mercer, Landstar, whatever, uh, and the, the relaxed nature – of some of these folks that I ran into um, where if freight's bad or weather's bad, they'll just stay home. They're not out there like a rat in a wheel like a lot of company drivers are forced to be, like I was. I mean, I, I had to run, rain, shine, snow, sleet, hail, whatever. Um, uh, even kind of had to do that when I was doing a dedicated run with Landstar. You know, well, I had to go. And so I had to go no matter what. And when I started meeting people who, well, I have, you know, Dan that's on the podcast with me, you know, he, he doesn't, he's not working right now. I mean, he, he parks it for a few months out of the year. Um, you know, there's a, there's a level of freedom that you can't fathom until you've crossed over. Uh, but I think one thing that people aren't really cautioned about is, you know, you have that old saying, freedom's not free. Well, it's also not easy. You know, the, the easy way out is let somebody else own the truck, let somebody else pay the bills, let somebody, you just drive. That's easy. There, there's really, 
nothing all that difficult about that, I guess unless you're driving the ice road and you're an ice road trucker. But there's a, there, there is more at stake here. There is more risk, but there's so much greater reward. So when I'm arguing this, this post and this attitude about, oh, everything's terrible and awful and we just need to get the right president, and I, and I brought up my own situation, and I said, look, here's what I've done. So 2010, I'm making 700 bucks a week, bring it home. $700 a week as a company driver. Okay, and I was probably running 100 to 110,000 miles a year. I was working essentially six days a week, you know, Sunday evening to Friday evening, Saturday morning. Um, and I worked hard, you know, and I wasn't home very much. And in 2015, I just got done finalizing all my bookkeeping. And in 2015, my taxable income was $77,500. And I only ran 86,000 miles. And for the majority of the year, I was home three, three and a half, sometimes four days a week. Now, we all know from the last episode that I had a catastrophic failure in December uh, that put me in a huge hole, uh, and thank God uh, someone stepped up to help me or I'd have been in trouble. But you've got to think, because that's what I'm about to do here. I'm about to go back and look at the numbers, uh, just kind of a broad stroke. But I'm, I'm going to change uh, one of my core beliefs about how to get into this business as an owner-operator. And it's radically different than anything that I thought even up to two weeks ago. And and when I had this argument with Terry, love his heart, uh, he's a good, sweet guy. He really is. He he just, he watches too much news. That's, That's really the problem. So he comes back at me after I say, well, look, things aren't that bad. Um, I think it's a real little ridiculous to, you know, kind of put a politician up like they're some kind of deity. And he comes at me and he says, well, well, you know, you received a big bailout and a big hand. I think he called it a handout. Yeah, seems like you just got a huge handout that saved your business. I wouldn't be so smug. Okay. And I responded. Nice try. A private individual voluntarily offered me a loan and a few others gave me a gift. All voluntary. No one forced them. No one threatened them. I made no speech demanding that they give me their money. I did not and still not deserve what I was given. That, my friend, is grace. I made a humble request and free people made a free choice. Now, the argument continued on as I'm trying to explain to this guy, look, if in, in America, even in 2016 as it stands, all a person has to do to better their situation is make a choice. Now, you have to make a series of choices, and you have to be prepared to make some bad choices and some good choices and fall down and scrape your knee and bust your nose and get back up and dust yourself off and try it again. And so you do need good friends and family around you uh, and, and good people, but you know, there's two reasons. I'm going to throw this in here. I believe there's two reasons that I was helped. 
One was grace, plain and simple. Okay, I, I, don't, I don't know what your belief system is. I know what mine is. Um, and I believe 100% that first and foremost that we received a gift uh, because of grace uh, that we didn't deserve. We didn't earn it. There's nothing that I have done in my almost 40 years to deserve someone writing me a $24,000 check. And really, a guy that doesn't really even know me. I mean, he's seen me on Facebook. But this guy, there's no other way to explain that other than grace. Now, I think, and I think underneath that, though, is I've worked my butt off for five years. And I've shown that. It's been abundantly clear to anybody that knows me. That first two years that I was with Anderson, I was gone three or four, six weeks at a time with little babies at home and, and, and my wife at home taking care of everything and I'm not there. Um, I was willing to go way above and beyond, you know, because I'm the guy that said, oh, I'll never do that again. I'll, I'm not going to go out on the road again. And then here I am, you know, out living on the road. Uh, but I still didn't deserve it. Even through all that, even through all the the working and staying out and learning and learning and trying to learn and listening to books and 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 wearing out every gray-haired owner operator that I could find. Hey, man, how do I do this? How do you do that? How do you how do you work with Deadhead? How do you keep your books? How do you do this? Just asking people questions and and using that to build my own system to to something that works. So in the argument with Terry, one thing came up about the EPA truck that I had, the 2011 Peterbilt. Now, if you go to anamericantruckdriver.com slash EPA, you can read all about that experience, and I've talked about it in other shows. The broad strokes is I leased a truck in seven months. It cost me $50,000 in repairs and downtime. I bought this truck. Now, this truck ended up two years later costing me $20,000 in an engine rebuild. And at one point, the light bulb went off, and I went, okay, stop. Let's back up for a second. What if in 2010, when uh, I was considering this, well, what if I knew what I know now? We all know that's not possible. But what if? Let's, let's play that game for a second. What if I would have known then what I know now? How would I have done it differently? Well, here's how. I would have worked an extra job. I would have done something. I would have cut spending somewhere. And I would have tried to save maybe $500 a month for a year. I'd had $6,000. Now, if they're not easy to find, but they're out there. The If the question is, can you find a DOT legal roadworthy truck for $6,000? Yes. Now, you can't just walk out your front door and stumble over it and fall. Oh, there it is. You have to go look for it. You have to go seek it out. You have to go find it. So I would find a truck 
for somewhere between five and ten thousand dollars. It may be ugly. It may be a cab over. It may be a flat top, forty inch bunk Freightliner from nineteen ninety five. But if it'll pull freight, uh, it may not pull it fast, and it may not go up the hills real fast. But if it will pull a trailer, and it'll pass a DOT inspection, it's good enough. You know, because Landstar, uh, well, up until what, 2014, you know, you could lease on anything. You could lease on a 1979 GMC, I guess, if you had one. Uh, but now they require electronic motors. But you still can get something back to, what, probably 93 or 94. So I would have gotten a uh, an old paid-for-with-cash truck. And I'd have set it at the house. And maybe I had to put tires on it. Maybe I'd have had to put some brakes on it or brake chambers or something to get it DOT legal. But I would have found one that could pass a dyno test and and could assure me that I could get maybe 30 days out of it or 90 days out of it. And then I would go lease that truck on to Landstar or Mercer, somewhere I could somewhere like that where I could pick my own loads. Um, because really... Ultimately, what it comes down to, all I needed was the right attitude, okay? I'm still today learning stuff about my truck and, and mechanics and maintenance. And, you know, I, uh, you know, I learned about air conditioning, you know, by one, by watching a YouTube video and learning how to charge my AC and then having another problem fixed at a TA and just standing there talking the guy's ear off. Hey, how's this work? How's that work? And, and he sat there and explained it to me. So now I have a basic understanding of how an air conditioning system works and can pretty much diagnose it if something goes wrong with it. But that attitude of service and knowing what I'm out here for, it was that's the key. That's, that's the whole key. If, if somebody says, well, what do I need to know how to be an owner-operator? You need to have a good attitude. You need to have an attitude of service and sacrifice. If you have a me, me, me attitude, it's all about me. I don't care about your freight. I don't care about your lane. I don't care about your customers. Well, you're going to fail. Eventually, you're going to fail because somebody's going to get tired of putting over your crap. So when I thought of that, then that put me back to looking at my own numbers because why did I go lease a truck? Well, the reason I leased a truck was because I didn't, one, I didn't think there was any other way I could get a truck other than lease one. And there was a security blanket feel, you know, there was a, there was a feeling of security and safety net. Well, I'm going to go lease a truck and you know, they've got a maintenance program and they've got this and they've got that. But when I'm, I'm starting to go back and look at the cost. Okay. So my first truck, the lease payment was about $400 a week, um, so $1,600 a month, give or take. It was 40 weeks, so it was 20 grand, you know, um, thereabouts, um, that I spent the first year in payments, okay? Then, then I spent that same, the next year in payments. Okay, then the next year, the payment went up. It was like 435 a week for the Peterbilt, okay? Plus fifty thousand. Okay, so now we're at twenty, forty, fifty. Now we're at ninety. Okay, plus I had it for seven months, 
at about 2,000. There's another 14. So now we're at 104,000. Okay, well, this truck, I put 3,000 down. I've paid 1275 a month for it um, up this entire time. So I'm spending about 16000 a year in payments. You start to see 20, 40, 90, 104. Another, this truck's almost paid for, and I think I give 43 for it. So 147. I've spent $147,000, close to it, $147,000 in five years just on truck payments. Now, that $20,000 engine that's under my hood right behind me wouldn't have been $20,000 in a 97 Pete or a 96 Freightliner. It would have been about ten. dollars uh, But this EGR, this DPF, which I don't have DPF, I don't have... Uh, SCR, but this stuff has caused the maintenance on these trucks to go up so high. And I'm sitting here looking back thinking, I've pretty much, well, there's no pretty much about it. I've cash flowed all of these repairs, all of these truck payments. I've paid for every bit of it, with the exception of this engine that I've got to pay off because I, you know, essentially had to borrow the money. But if I had a five to $10,000 truck that I started adding in that's ugly and it's not comfortable, it's not pretty, it doesn't ride good, it's uncomfortable. But if I put a $10,000 engine in it and say a three to $5,000 transmission and I put maybe a set of five or $6,000 rear ends on it and I keep tires and brakes and fuel and oil in it, I'm nowhere near $150,000 in truck payments like I am right now. That's just a fact. So the point to say all this, if you're on the fence, even now in this economy, which sucks, if you're on the fence, I want to be an owner-operator, and I don't know how to do it. Well, here's, here's how. Number one, change your attitude. That has to come first. You have to change your mindset that you're no longer – a steering wheel holder. You are a business owner. You are in the service industry. You exist to serve other people. That's it. Because you know, Zig Ziglar has a great had a great line. If you help enough other people get what they want, you can have anything you want. Or you can have anything you want if you help yeah. You can have anything you want if you help enough other people get what they want. If you'll just have an attitude of service, you serve your carrier, you serve the shipper, you serve the receiver, okay? Are they going to screw you occasionally? Yes. Are you going to get detention time and not get paid for it occasionally? Yes. Uh, are you going to have the four-wheeler run you off the road? Yes. Why don't you just accept that that's going to happen, take a deep breath, and go on about your business? Because that's what you have to do. Look, man, I'm, I've got a temper. Uh, wow. And my 14-month-old son has got it too, and it's hilarious now to see him start to pitch that little fit, and he gets that look on his face, and whatever he has in his hand, he takes it and he throws it. Whew. I know what it's like to be frustrated. 
and upset and disrespected. I get all that. And I, it still happens to me, even, to, you know, as an owner-operator. The difference now is I really don't care. Number one, I make enough money for it to be worth my trouble, I guess. If I was still making six or $700 a week for out here for putting on with this crap, I probably wouldn't do it. The financial incentive helps. But the first step has to be your attitude. The second step has to be willingness to learn. You've got to learn, you know, how to use a computer or a smartphone or whatever, you know, whatever, you know, if you're, if you're older or you're younger or whatever. I mean, I've seen people my age, my peers, I'm 40. Oh, I don't know how to work on cell phones. You know, I just use it to make calls. Well, I'm sorry. You're, you know, you're going to have to, if you're going to run a business, you're going to have to learn how to use technology and use it to your advantage. Um, I've probably said this before, but I'll say it again. You know, I was sitting around one day and goes, well, we need to get back to the good old days of trucking. I said, hang on, just hang on right there. You talking about the good old days when I I didn't have a cell phone, I didn't have an iPad, I didn't have an iPod, I didn't have audiobooks and satellite radio and satellite communications, and I had to go in that truck stop in that phone room with all them pay phones on the wall, a cigarette smoke so thick you couldn't see, with one phone to each ear waiting, waiting to see which one the, the dispatcher was going to answer first and stand there for 20 minutes in a, in a cloud for them to say, yeah, I ain't got nothing, call me back in an hour. And then you go back out and you sit in your truck and you stare at the windshield and you listen to the idiots on the CB radio and you walk back in there into the cloud and get one phone against each ear and see which one he answers first and it comes back. Okay, I got you. Then you have to write everything down. Listen, y'all can take the good old days and shove them, okay? Because I I am not going back to the good old days. When I started this business in 97, I had a CB radio and a stack of truck stop comedy cassette tapes, Ron White and Jerry Clower, and that was it, an AM radio. Uh, didn't have a cooler, didn't have a refrigerator, didn't have a microwave, didn't have, no, 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 absolutely not. I will not go back to, if they, we got to go back to the good old days, I quit, okay? I'm out. My bookkeeping now is so simple. When I get a receipt, before I walk away, I lay it down on the counter, I take a picture of it with my phone, I import it into the scanning app, I convert it into a PDF file, and I upload it to Dropbox. And it's done. I throw the receipt away. And at the end of the month, I go through my Dropbox, and I get my list of receipts, and I put them into my little spreadsheet, and my bookkeeping's done. I mean, my bookkeeping might, might cost me a half hour a month, if that. The, the load alerts and the, the, the ability to, to, to be dispatched and get dispatched and use GPS and use Google Maps and all the calculations and stuff that we have available to us now, there's just no excuse. I mean, this is the age of information. Ignorance is a choice. So you've got to have the right attitude. You've got you've to gotta learn or be willing to learn new things. Hey, maybe you're not all that mechanically inclined. Well, you're fixing to be... Because at ninety to one hundred and fifty dollars an hour, you better get your butt out there and change that mud flap yourself. Uh, you better be willing to to change that light bulb or fix that wiring issue, or uh, I mean, you know, I well Dan that does the pot, you know, Dan Babb, he 
he does a lot of his own mechanical work. You know, he's out there doing wheel bearings, and I'm not there yet. I will be someday, uh, but I'm not there yet. That, that's the stuff I'm going to pay for. But there's a lot of stuff I've done to this truck. Uh, out in the truck stop parking lot, laying in the cold, in the rain. Um, but at 90 to 100 bucks an hour, or 90 to 150 bucks an hour, um, I'll trade a couple hours of my time for that kind of money. But that's stuff I've had to learn as I've gone along. Uh, but don't, don't be discouraged and don't allow the, the attitude of our society that says, oh, well, go ahead and go into debt up to your eyeballs. Everything will be okay. This, this economy that we're in right now, I, I don't pretend to make, I, I don't pretend to know the future, but things are rough right now. And they could get rougher. Now, I, I don't I don't buy into these drama queens that are all about, oh, everything's going to crash, buy gold and silver. I don't do that. Um, but things could get bad if they get bad like they did in 08 and 09. The people that are up to their eyeballs in debt, they're not going to make it. They're going to crash, and they're going to go bankrupt, and then they'll start again, and they'll be fine. Uh, but it... I'm four payments away from having a paid-for truck. Now, I'll still owe the 20000 for the engine. But I'm, I'm getting to that point now where I'm anticipating that title coming to me. And I don't know yet quite how to describe, uh, but I'm sure I'm going to dance and jump up and down like they did in those Toyota commercials when I was a kid. You know, they hit 100,000 miles, and the guy would jump up, and they would freeze. The, I, I'm going to have somebody take a picture of me. I'm going to get out in front of my truck with my title, and I'm going to jump up in the air and and have them snap the picture because probably when I hit the ground, I'm going to end up in a cast, but that's okay. But even now, you've got to realize that if you can make the capital investment just to get a truck, DOT legal, roadworthy truck, you can cash flow the repairs. Um, you know, I, let's say you buy a truck for $5,000 and you drive it for a month and the engine, you throw a rod through the block. Well, sell it for scrap, save up again, and try one more time. You know, that, that's, uh, if I'm going to try to find, I'll put in the show notes, but there was a video that Steve Harvey did um, on the Family Feud. Like, it was in between shows and he's talking to the audience and he's talking about you got to jump because if you don't jump you're never going to fly if you never fly you're never going to soar uh, but you have to be prepared because the first time you jump you're probably going to hit the rocks um, and I've been there I, I, it's, I've, I've, I've fallen flat on my face about four times but if you don't jump you don't take that first leap you will never ever get there another great Zig Ziglar line if you aim at nothing you will hit it every time. Every time. So don't be afraid. We we get we get this this society, this American society. I, it, it probably permeates everywhere, just because we're humans. But especially here in American society, we are so. Uh, just 
covered by fear. Everything in the news is is just fear based. Um. Well, you know, you've got to buy a new truck so you can have the warranty. Because if you buy a new truck, uh, you know, you're not going to break down. If you buy an old truck, you're going to have to spend a bunch of money. Well, uh, how's those new trucks working out for you? They're not working out for me very well. That's just a fact, and that's a sad. It's a sad state of the American economy when you can go buy a truck with a million miles on it and put it next to a brand new truck that just rolled out of the showroom and the truck that has a million miles on it has as much or or less chance of breaking down than the brand new one from the factory. But that's where we're at today. That's what government emissions and EPA regulations have done. They have rendered brand new trucks essentially worthless trucks big trucks tractor trailers are very 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 simple machines even if you're not mechanically inclined uh you know from from the earliest trucks up to about 2002 they're very simple i mean we're talking about technology that's decades old brakes and shocks and springs and bushings they're very, very simple. They're big, and they're heavy, and it takes big, heavy tools to work on them, but they're essentially very simple. So like Dan said in, in the last podcast, even if, you know, so if you're not mechanically inclined and you can find a good shop, you know, somewhere close to your house within a 100 or 200 miles that you can trust and build a relationship with, keyword build a relationship, then you can, you can, push off some of that risk by having them do the work. But you still need to be learning at the same time so that you can do some of the stuff on your own. If twenty In 2015, if I wouldn't have had a truck payment, my taxable income would have been $92,800. That's taxable. Obviously, I brought home more than that, but, you know, when you're in business, you get to write off a lot of your personal stuff. But... Show me a company driver, and I'm sure there's some somewhere, so I get that, but they're obviously the exception, not the rule. Show me a company driver that works three and a half, four days a week, runs 86,000 miles, and makes $92,000. Because here's the thing. If I'd have made 90, if, if I would have not had the truck payments last year or for the last three years, well, I would have just opened my, you know, I would have just went to the bank and cut them a $20,000 check for that engine. I wouldn't have thought twice about it. But we've got to we got to get in this business and stay away from the debt. It's everywhere around us. We're being marketed to all the time. And then through marketing, we're told these lies. Oh, well, you, well, you have to, well, you got to have a write-off. You don't want to send the government all that money. I mean, Dave Ramsey did a great job of explaining this. So let's just do the math real quick because I know somebody's listening to this and thinking, well, what about the tax write-off? Okay. Let's say your truck payment is $2,000 a month. Okay? So in 12 months, that's $24,000. So you go to the IRS at the end of the year and you say, hey, look, I spent $24,000 in payments or depreciated uh, this truck by $24,000. 
And so the IRS says, okay, well, that's $24,000. Let me get my calculator out here for you, Mr. Citizen, taxpayer. So you've got $24,000 that we're not going to tax you on. So if you're in a 30% bracket, that's $7,200 you don't have to pay in taxes. Okay? So the choice is you can send the government or you can send the bank $24,000 to keep from sending the government $7,200. That's what we have come to consider as good economic thought and principles of mathematics in the United States of America. I'm going to send the bank $24,000 to keep from sending the government $7,200. Well, hey, Gomer, why don't you do this? I'm going to take my calculator and I'm going to subtract $24,000 from $7,200. That's $16,800 you could have had in your pocket, but instead you sent it to the bank because you can't do math. Can you hear me now? We got to break the cycle of this way of thinking. It's just, just, it's just destructive, and it's ridiculous. And we've got to, well, first we've got to turn off the news. I always use, when anytime I type out the word news, I always put quotation marks around it. The news, because it's not news. It's, it's native advertising. It's propaganda. Uh, it's stories that are so twisted and turned around that you never, ever find out what the real story is. Uh, so turn off the news. Get your face in a book or an audio book. I mean, we're, we're driving around here you're 70 hours a week. You know, I listen to a 12-hour audio book on my way down here on this load to Florida. Um, man, an audible subscription is $23 a month. That's two books a month. You know, imagine if you just got two books on economics a month, two books on business a month, two, bu two books on good attitude a month, two books on, you know, faith and grace where do you think that's what, what's that going to do to your brain versus listening to all this crap on talk radio and the news? It starts with you. It starts with your attitude. That's the first thing that has to change. If you can change that, if you, Dave Ramsey always says, if you can fix the guy you see in the mirror when you shave, if you can control that person, you don't have to worry about anybody else. And, I, hey, I'm a work in progress. I'm still doing it. The switch has finally flipped for me. Um, you know, that, that's another amazing thing about what we just went through and what we received. I'm sitting here now. You know, I've been back running, what, about two weeks, three weeks. And I've got a couple thousand dollars saved up. And I feel content kind of you know it's like okay i got a little emergency fund saved up but i'm also like i've only got two thousand dollars okay don't buy that cheeseburger don't buy you know the, the 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 switch is finally flipped in my brain that says you know eventually that needs to be Ooh, i've only got ten thousand dollars in the bank i better change 
I've only got $20,000 in the bank. I'm, oh, don't buy that. But Americans, we go, oh, man, I got, I got $50 in the bank. I'm good to go. I'll get a big fat tax refund and everything will be okay. Wrong. We got to fix that. This industry desperately needs more owner-operators. I'm not mad at company drivers. I don't hate you if you're a company driver. I've been one. I was a company driver longer than I'm an owner-operator. But that, uh, that behavior modification that comes when you become an owner-operator is, is desperately what we need. Now, sadly... You know, just look at the trucker groups on Facebook. We got a bunch of owner operators got their head up their rear ends too. So, but I think they're just the vocal ones. They're just the loud ones that make the most noise. I, I don't in any way think they're indicative of of the group overall. Owner operators have the best safety record um, by far. Um, so you know, that's what we need. We need more owner operators. We need more servants. We need more people that are just obsessed with safety and courtesy and respect for one another and respect for the industry and respect for the highways and respect for people on the road and respect for the shippers and the receivers and respect for the truck stop waitresses. We can, as individuals, we can get back to the nights of the road that everybody talks about what truck drivers used to be. We can do it. It has to be done as individuals. There's no collective. There's no, oh, well, let's pass a law. Let's join a union. Let's, uh, let's get this collect, throw a blanket everybody, over everybody, and they'll be, hey, no, 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 no. It starts with the individuals. It starts with living what you believe. There's a guy uh, that has a radio show down in Alabama, Rick Burgess of the Rick and Bubba Show, and he has a great quote. It says, you may not live what you profess, but you will uncontrollably live what you believe. You got to let that sink in for a minute. You may not live what you profess, but you will live what you believe. When someone looks at you objectively from the side and says, and they look at that person and they see how you behave and they see how you talk and they see how you interact, well, that will tell them what you believe about yourself It'll tell you what you believe about your family. It'll tell you what you believe about your industry. It'll tell you what, you know, tell them what you believe about your faith, whatever. How you behave is what you believe. That's the truth. That was hard for me to swallow at first because I got a big mouth and I uh, always say I'm bilingual. I speak English and, and angry redneck. Uh, and there are times that my wife allows the angry redneck out of his cage. Generally, it's with telemarketers. Um, but there are times that I've, I've had to look at myself. And of course, this happens when you become a parent, you know. And you, you see these kids looking at you, and, and you say something or you do something, and you're like, wow, that was good. Don't be afraid. Live your dreams. Don't let anybody talk you out of it. If you got negative people in your life, unless you're married to them, that's a little difficult. But you got to get the negativity out of your life. That 
that, oh, the little man can't get ahead. We got to get rid of that crap. We've got to stand up, respect other people's property, and, and make other people respect our property. But it takes an individual. And, you know, you, you got to be, you have to measure risk. And you have to take chances. And you have to make investments. And maybe you got to sell the bass boat or the, or the new pickup truck or whatever, you know. But if you want to make that step, you know, I, I drive a 28-year-old pickup truck. So, you know, it's paid for and it's ugly and it's Fred Flintstone. I can see through the floorboard when I'm driving down the road, but I only have to drive it about five miles a week, so it's okay. But don't ever let anybody tell you you can't. You can. It's it's a choice. You either can or you won't. Can't. Can't doesn't exist. So anyway, I'll wrap that up for this episode. I just I I just I want to try to encourage people. Okay, that that's that's what I'm after here. I love being an owner operator, man. Sometimes, especially over the last six months, it's. It's been nerve-wracking, and, and, and I was physically ill. But the reality of that, that wasn't trucking's fault. That wasn't my truck's fault. It wasn't Freightliner's fault. It wasn't, it, that was my fault. I did not prepare well enough, especially when freight was booming there for a couple of years. But, I, you know, look, I'm sitting here. I'll do anything I can to help you. Send me a, an email. Uh, hit me up with a message on Facebook. If you have questions about it, uh, I'll help you because I want I want more owner operators. I want more individuals living free, living that dream, getting away from being a wage slave in a big orange or red truck. I want you to be free. And I I want you to 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 f- I want you to know what this feels like cuz it's awesome. So that'll do it for this episode. Um, I, uh, I I'm trying to do these more frequently. I was sick this past week, so it's hard to do a podcast when you can barely talk. And you probably heard I've still got some sinus issues going on. But uh, hit me up with calls and questions and share, 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 share the post, share the links, send it to friends and family, get it shared out, and uh, hit me up. Let me know if you need anything. I'll be here for you. Until next time, I'm Chris and I'm out.